Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. And once again, I am Moxon, and I have with me the king of the casters, the chief defender of the faith, Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, why don't you tell everybody about today's guest, because I know we're both very excited to talk to this gentleman. Oh, we certainly are. I mean, we I know that we've been following his music for, well, decades, which is, which is awesome. But the truth is, is that this new album that has been released from House of Lords, Saints and Sinners is absolutely incredible. And I know we are super excited to have James Christian back on to talk about it. James, how are you? Very well, thank you, Brett. And hello, Martin. Well, you know, we just, so yeah, I mean, just briefly off air, I mean, Mon said that he'd listened to the album like 14 times. I think that that's pretty fair because this is an amazing album and your voice sounds incredible. So. There's lots to lots to get into here, but first let's talk about the new album and like kind of how it came together and just just you know just just break it down for us. Sure. Well, uh, when this uh, when Serafino and uh, and company re- requested that we do another CD, um, it was at a time when we were at a kind of a crossroads where um, our, our drummer had left to join with Dokken and my guitar player is doing like double and triple duty with um, a couple of other bands, one being Autograph. So it kind of it was a time of reflection for me. And I'm thinking, well, what do we do now? What should I do? And the first thing I thought of was what we did in the very beginning, the first three albums and what it was that made those albums um, you know, as popular as they were, even today, those are the records that they're, you know, they want to hear when we play live. So um, I looked back and, and thought about it. It was really a combination of what we were doing musically uh, with keyboards and guitars and how we integrated it and made it uh, a, a more grandiose type of um, a sound. The band had a much a bigger sound back then, and that had a lot to do with uh, Greg Jeffrey's keyboard sound, which was monstrous. So uh, I needed to find someone who had that same mentality. And I found Mark Mangold through uh, Fiona Flanagan, who was introduced uh, by my wife, Robin Beck. It's a long, we're up, you know, it's a small community here with when you start looking at people. So, and Mark was somebody I've known for years. Um, he worked with Michael Bolton on um, Fool's Game and that whole that, uh, that whole album, then worked with Cher. But I knew that he was a great keyboard player. I just didn't realize that he was into the same kind of stuff I was. So that beginning was the beginning of where we are now. It really just was a great marriage to have a keyboard player with while we were writing this type of material. And then we didn't we didn't write like three minute songs. We just said whatever, however long it takes us to, to do what we want to do, that's what we'll do. So some of these songs are six and seven minutes long. Well, and I think that in this case, it fits so perfectly with the House of Lords concept. I mean, knowing, you know, like you say, I mean, going back to those original albums, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've listened to those so many times. And then when when I think of a seven minute, like epic keyboards and everything sounds so grandiose. I mean, House of Lords, that's bam, right there. Yeah. It's, it, and the thing was, back then on that first album uh, that HOL did, there was no talk of a single. There was no talk of anything else but just putting out some really great music, however long. And Pleasure Palace was another song that was very long. But uh, we managed to get a couple of singles out of it, I Want to Be Loved and Love Don't Lie. But the rest of the album are album cuts. So that's what we concentrated on, just writing really good songs and stop worrying about you know, the, you know, getting your three minute or three, four minute record single because singles are dead anyway. Nobody's mm-hmm. really working off a single. They're buying records or they're buying a download. For sure. Uh, how how hard is it to keep a band together nowadays? Well, it, it's, it's getting harder and harder. Um, but, you know, House of Lords with the uh, lineup I had, um, previously was was together for like eight or nine records, I believe it was. I'm not sure, I haven't counted, but it's, it, it's probably that many. So I was amazed that it lasted that long with that lineup. So in a sense, this whole thing that happened was a blessing because it brought us back to a different 
place for House of Lords. You know, I was getting a lot of emails from different people that they were saying, you know, we miss that that um, integration of uh, keyboards and, and guitars that you had on the first three records. And I mean, I didn't have a keyboard player on the rest of it. When I started with Jimmy Bell, he was such a great guitar player that pretty much he didn't need anything else. And I figured if I can play, take care of the keyboards that we need on there, which I did. I'm not a keyboard player, so uh, it, it, it was a background instrument. So now it's it's an upfront instrument with um, uh, Mark Mangold's, um, you know, he has a grandiose sound as well, but he also has one of the most killer organ sounds I've ever heard. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, it and we utilized it on songs like... Um, Mistress of the Dark and Road Warrior. You mentioned Mistress of the Dark, and I also mentioned uh, the longer album or longer songs. Right. I think that cut comes in at a little over seven minutes and is the longest on the album. It's a yeah. personal favorite of mine, though. So, could you tell me a little bit about the song? Uh, the song, when I first got the song um, from Mark's idea, his, his rough draft, um, it was. It was kind of long. He had all the ideas in there, but I just didn't get it. I didn't get it at first. I had to listen, and there was—I think there was a different chorus at the time, which was less, let's say, as catchy as the one we have now. Um, and we, we reworked that chorus, and then piece by piece, started realizing that all these sections were really going to work when we got the right lyric. Um, the right production for it. So it didn't, you know, peter out at three minutes. You know, if that was the case, then it wasn't going to work. So uh, one chorus had to sound like the other, but not exactly like the other. It wasn't a copy and paste type of thing where you had the second chorus has different movement than the first. And then after that, you have keyboard breakdowns and then you have guitar solos and I had a, um, a bunch of great singers, Robin Beck being one of them, um, Kristen um, Fuhrer, who was with a band called Seventh Something. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know, the, he, I know the one. Yeah. But he's really a great singer. He's on there. Um, myself and Mark Mangold. So there's some choir happening in that on the backgrounds and also in the choruses. A lot of this stuff was, um, you know, on the spot. We were doing this and writing it and putting it together as each verse and chorus was, we were building it, like, you know, each section. And then it wasn't until the very end of the song that we actually got a chance to listen, breathe and say, okay, let's let's spend seven minutes listening to it. And and we, we all came up with the, you know, same verdict. This, this works. So we left it. I think it's incredibly difficult nowadays to, to create a song that feels unique to the listener. Well, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, in that case, you're to, right. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Were you what no, saying? no, I'm just going to say you managed to do that. And I think that's something, you know, that, that's uh, a highlight of the album for that reason. Yeah. Um, you can't do it. Uh, I, I mean, it, you can't force it. That's the whole thing. There was, you know, there were ideas and bits and pieces that Mark had put down and he had them there. And it was just a matter of making all of this translate into what we were, you know, what we had in mind and then putting the vocal on it, which was, you know, at that point, really, I wasn't sure whether I was going to, you know, whether it should sound like a Dio song or a Rainbow <laughs> song. I, you don't know. Because that song has got a lot of flavors in it from what we grew up with. Deep Purple. I mean, these are bands that I adored when I was, you know, growing up. So, of course, I'm going to draw inspiration from them. So, it, it's 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 just a very honest song as far as you know, uh, per, a, a performance and lyrically and um, all the other elements that I think make a strong song. I hope we can do that again, like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, when I listen to you talk about the album here, it's obvious that the collaborative nature of the album uh, yes. is, is up front. It's something you're, you're very proud of. Clearly, is that something that mm -hmm. uh, over the years you've grown to be more uh, willing to be collaborative or have you always found yourself as uh, willing to uh, accept the input from others? 
I love collaborating uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that you can get a lot of different ideas from someone else. And if it fucks up, you can blame it on somebody else. I'm only joking. I'm, I'm, I do love to collaborate though. Uh, the, the the fact of having someone to to say, am I crazy here? Or does this sound really good? You know, that type of thing. If, you, if you're doing a vocal, if you think something is a little wonky, you know, you have someone to to um, bounce it off of. Then it has to be somebody you trust. You know, uh, my wife would be somebody I would trust, but she's not in the studio with me all the time. So um, Mark and I worked, you know, via Skype. And did um, pretty much a lot of sessions that way. And um, we really, the ideas were just flowing. I, I'll tell you, the first three songs we wrote, um, none of them were right. I mean, it just <laughs> didn't, we, we, they were done. And we're like, oh boy, this one definitely didn't hit it. You know, I still have them. And one day I probably will, you know, let people hear them, but it just didn't work, you know? And I thought, I thought, well, what's going on here? Was what, the problem was is that we were working off of old things that, you know, oh, I got this little little thing here I've had for a while. Well, it was probably there for a while because it wasn't any good. So you, that's, you, we were working on the, and those premises. Let's start from scratch on everything and just write. And that's what we did. And when, when Mark uh, also you know, got into gear that way and understood what I was looking for, then things started moving very quickly. Now, I mean, one of the things that I noticed for sure, I mean, just is the quality of your voice on this album. And, and I mean, I'm a huge sucker for ballads and avalanches, you know, just absolutely incredible. And so, but you sound so amazing on it. So, I mean, how is it that you're still keeping your voice in such great shape? Well, I, I, you know, my age, it, I, it's not that, that I, I blame anything on my age. I, my voice is adapting to my age, I guess I would say. So uh, I have to push myself to limits sometime. And I know that. And as a singer, I was doing that when I started out. You know, there would be, uh, there were things I knew I could do. So I would do that. Plus, I try to go beyond that. And on Avalanche, I knew that this song had to have all those elements. So I really pushed myself to get that, um, to get what I wanted out of the vocal. And that's the only way to do it. If you're not working at it, you know, people are going to notice. They're going to, they're going to know it. But if you are, and you're putting it all in, they're going to notice that too. So then what's it like to produce yourself, like, and to kind of produce the, your own vocals and just to, to package everything together? Well, I've, I've worked with one guy who I, um, you know, my very first album on the very first HOL record was Andy Johns. Andy Johns really just taught me so many things about um, what I was doing. I was more of a super perfectionist. And when I would go into a studio, every note had to be just like perfectly on. And you, you, it, that's the only way I would work. Where, and where Andy would, was, was telling me is, James, just go in there and sing the song. Th do it like three or four times, whatever you need to do it. And then we'll, we'll talk. And then when he was putting it together, I said, well, I could have done that line better. And he goes, well, no, you couldn't have because you wouldn't have got that emotion. You wouldn't have done this. So that's what made him, you know, like such a great producer was that he could tell what was working, even if it was not perfect, but it had the emotion that made the vocal work. So once I knew that, I knew that I could do this on my own. I mean, I wanted to do my own vocals and I ended up doing them um, pretty much from that point on. Um, he also told me another thing, which was very important to me is because whenever you record a song, even if it's a demo, but do it on a great mic because you're going to find that sometimes your demos performers are going to be better than when you walk into a studio and do it. So these are all things that really stuck with me. And uh, in my career, songs like Can't Find My Way Home were the demo. Um, What's Forever For was the demo. Remember My Name was the demo. You know, I couldn't believe it. I, could, I said, wow, I, I tried singing them the same way and I, I hit the same notes. Everything came out the same way, but there was something missing. I don't know what it was. So well, I said, you know, let's use the demo. 
Yeah, that, that is interesting because I was I was listening to the anthology and is it a re-recording of Can't Find My Way Home on the anthology album? Hmm, I haven't heard the anthology. That might be the original. Oh, okay. Because yeah, because I'm not sure. Because because I know the one on Sahara so well that yeah. from listening to it so much, and then when I listened to it again, I was just like, see, it just sounds it just sounds different. There's something there's something a little off. So yeah. it'd be interesting. Well, it, yeah, it was produced better. In other words, when uh, I think David Thoner uh, did the engineering on that, and he had to take my voice from a um, a Kai. 12 track. I don't know if you've ever heard of those machines, but back then they were pretty decent and there was no SIMT code that we had with it. So he had to kind of lock my vocal into, which he did. I don't know how he did it, but he did. Uh, and he agreed. He said, James, there's something about the vocal. Alicia recorded it on a 414 mic, which is not the best. It's not a Neumann, but it didn't matter because the vocal was the right performance for that song. Well, and it's so interesting because I know we've talked to so many singers and and I think there is in that early stage of your career that desire to get everything perfect. But of course, yes, as fans, we we want the emotion. We that's that's what we're, you know, kind of listening for. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that when you talk about, you know, those bands, I mean Deep Purple, I mean Ian Gillen, I mean Ronnie Dio mm -hmm. from in Rainbow and stuff like that. I mean, they what they do with their voices is just amazing. And great, yeah. And the emotion that it brings out is just spectacular. Well, it's all about the emotion and being the young singer that I was. I mean, I got I got the gig in House of Lords because I could do the stuff, but you know, um, I didn't really. I, I was going in there as a you know was a greenhorn. I really didn't have that much studio experience. But when I got the when when I when when Andy Johns got a hold of me and he started telling me this is what you need to do just sing, just sing and don't worry about all these other perfection things because that's not what's going to make it great. He's so right, but um, and then it you know it stayed with me ever since. I go for the emotion more more than the pitch. I'd like to have both. both. <laughs> <laughs> hate I hate flat notes, but. <laughs> when you're in the studio then do you uh find a, a certain uh, like how do you find the mindset you need to reach that emotion do you do you picture yourself somewhere or you just uh you know uh, let the music flow over you or what kind of is, is the process well, the best yeah, the best thing to do is to know the song um, pretty much inside out i mean i don't want to be like wondering you know what the kick and snare is and where the feel is the pocket's the most important thing to me um, um even when i produce other acts i always talk about being right in that sweet spot and that's important so once i get in the sweet spot the emotion i i can tell if i if i'm really capturing what's what's going to what's needed for the song whether it needs a little bit of an edge whether it needs to pull back a little bit so that you have more dynamic coming into the chorus so it's, I mean, right now, it's, I do it um, automatically. But back in the beginning, I would really have to like listen and go back and say, okay, this is what I need to do. So, and it's always best not to be reading off a lyric mm. uh, because, I mean, you know, I know we, you have to have them there, but if you can have it already memorized, that's like one less thing your brain has to be doing. So that... You know, how long does it take you to memorize a song? I mean, because certainly for going out on tour, you have to have a lot of songs already in your head. And then now when you talk about adding 11 new ones, like how yeah. difficult a process is that? It's, I, you know, I don't, I don't even know because learning lyric is like second nature to me. I can learn a lyric like nobody's business, but he asked me a question and then five minutes asked me the uh, same question. I couldn't remember what you asked me. It's just my, my I'm, I know um, how to learn a lyric. I guess how, I, the best way to say it, you know, I get the, I get the verses in my head and, and the lines and how they sound and, and then they pretty much find their own place. But when you're doing it um, an hour, two hour set, oh, I've had my moments, you know, where I, I actually go, wow, I just forgot the lyric, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
I used I used to I used to forget cities too. That was a very funny thing that that um, the the band used to get me on because um I'd be in Cleveland yelling I tell everybody how's everyone in Akron, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How do you cover it up when you when you these type of moments happen? Well, what what happens was we we were opening up for Cheap Trick during that whole um, that whole uh, northeastern tour, so. Um, after I did it like two or three times, I'm, Rick Nielsen had this big sign as I was walking on the stage and said, "James, <laughs> you're in Cleveland." <laughs> so it was like the first. It was the first thing I saw before I actually hit the stage. So I said, "Okay, that's very funny." <laughs> that's a good story. They were great. Yeah, you got to have the notes in front there. <laughs> I mean, look at, you know, it, again, this is, these are the early days of my career. Last thing I was thinking about was where I was playing. I was like, just so happy to be on stage. I <laughs> couldn't believe it, you know? So nobody, I never thought of, well, where the hell am I? You know, it, after a while, it got to be, you know, same place every night. It just, everything looked the same. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, how can it not? I mean, going, I mean, it's, it's like we've all seen Spinal Tap, you know, going backstage and uh, wandering right. around. I'm sure how many times has that happened to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to mention those, but that's, yes, it does. It happens. <laughs> pretty, pretty embarrassing, <laughs> especially when it wasn't that difficult to begin with. But um, <laughs> we just, we just had our moments. But Europe mostly because things were different and they were set up differently. Some of those dressing rooms looked like dungeons, you know, so it, it was really different. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. So, so then, you know, when it, when it all comes down to going out on tour and especially going out on tour with somebody like cheap trick, I mean, yeah. how important is it for like, if working with somebody who's nice to work with, you know, like Cheap Trick going out, I mean, them being good enough to, to you know, have fun and, and put a poster, like, is it, is that, does that just make the tour that much easier than going out on someone who's like, you've got this much stage, we're not talking yeah. to you? We never had that. I cannot remember one time that that happened to us on stage with Cheap Trick they were well. First of all, we were managed by the same agency, uh, Ken Adamani, who managed Cheap Trick and us. That was his whole roster. <laughs> so we we got we had really good treatment. Plus, I got along really well with Robin and and Rick Nielsen, uh, Tom Peterson as well. Drummer not so much because he was kind of quiet and really wasn't a party goer at that time. But um, we had the best time with Cheap Trick. After we went off with Cheap Trick, we went to Europe to, to open up with Scorpions. And I was a little nervous on that one because that's the next step up. You know, Scorpions were, were huge over in, in Germany. So when we got into our dressing room, what was there but a case of champagne and welcoming, welcoming us on the tour. How can you beat that, you know? No so, doubt. Yeah, they were they were the greatest, you know, nicest people. No, no uh, egos where you got this much stage. Don't go on that side of the stage. Don't use my mic or, you know, whatever. They weren't like that at all. So what kind of lessons can you take from, you know, other acts that are like that? Well, th th they were humble. You know, they tr they treated they treated everyone with a lot of respect when they could have had that, you know, rock ego that there are a lot of bands are, are famous for. And that, you know, I don't really know them. Um, I, I know people like Gene Simmons, and he's not like that. I don't know how we would have been if I had toured with him. But as a person, he's not like that. So what I take from it is just, you just be as gracious as you can to everybody you meet. And that's what we did. I was, again, so happy to be on a tour and to be in that place in my life. So I wasn't about to do something stupid. So then how many dates nowadays do you, would you find yourself on tour? And I mean, obviously I would think it would be quite a bit different from, from those early days when you could go out on tour for like 250 nights of the year. Yeah, yeah those were great. Those were the days. Um, you could do the same thing now, but, um, the accommodations that you would have 
would really, you know, that's the, it's 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 much tougher, you know, because the melodic rock genre. I mean, I'm not just talking about the music industry, but the the kind of music that we both, you know, we, I guess you would put us in um, a, a department of whatever. It's melodic rock. Yeah, and that community is either fading away or dead, you know, because they're like you know our age and plus. So it's not it's not as big as you think. So when you go out, it's nice to go out with four or five bands. So then you safety in numbers. You know, mm -hmm. if we can draw if we can draw this many and he, the other four bands can draw that many, hey, you've got a decent crowd. But um, it's very expensive to do. Or else I, I would have been I would have been in Canada a hundred times already because I, I I enjoyed Canada so much. Yeah, when is up, the last time you were here? Uh, the last time I was up there, I did. I was doing promo with Gene Simmons. He took me to um, what's the Toronto capital, and I had um, and of all places, we went to a place called the House of Lords, which is a beauty salon, <laughs> <laughs> no less. And because it was called the House of Lords, he brought me in, and we just kind of just did a little meet and greet there. And <laughs> very weird shit. But and then he brought me around to a, a, a whole bunch of other places because basically what he was doing was prep, prepping me for um, we, we were doing an MP, I'm not MT, an MTV debut on Want to Be Loved. And he just wanted to make sure that I had some experience speaking uh, to people before I would actually do something on TV. So I went there. I went to um, oh, where else was it? Was in Canada, Montreal. spent a, spent a good month in Montreal. I worked with a girl there, um, Julie Moss. Are you do you know who she is? Um, the name rings a bell. She's married to Corey Hart. Oh yeah. Oh yes, of course, definitely yeah. know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I produced her record and the one she had uh, "What's Forever For" on, and but she calls it something else, and it was in French. I can't remember the name of it, but. If you um, if you could if you you could Google it and you can yeah. find that, but um, I spent a lot of time there. But this was this was after I did a few records with House of Lords. But I did go to Montreal with Gene, so I've been up there. I just never played up there. <laughs> wow. And then we we were supposed to do something with a girl, um, Sass Jordan. Yep. Yeah, and we were supposed to, because I remember meeting her when I was up there, and she was kind of new to the market, but very sassy. And guess, guess where she got her name from? <laughs> and, but we never, we never um, actually did any shows up there. Wow, that is crazy. I, I would not have yeah. thought that. Yep. Do you remember your first meeting with uh, Gene Simmons ever? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you about it. It was after all, after all the auditions that were going on, there were there were lots of singers. I forget somebody told me it was in the hundreds that were uh, auditioning for this part. I guess it was a cattle call at one point. And um, after it got narrowed down to me and this guy called um, God, I think his name was Zeus, something really <laughs> weird like that. But he was a Ford model. I mean, I, I mean, I, if I was, I would have dated the guy myself. Blonde, <laughs> long hair. You know, he was beautiful. I mean, long blonde hair, just you know, perfect rock guy. And so it was between me and this guy. So um, we went up to to Gene's house, his old house. He spoke with both of us, and you know, just wanted to chat about how you know he asked stuff like drug you know do you do drugs and stuff like that i guess that was really important to him because he's so clean he doesn't drink he doesn't you know do drugs all of this stuff and then basically we both walked away and about a week later he calls me up and by myself and then he started talking to me about what it would be like because he knew i was new green everything and basically said we want you to you know to be the singer for house of lords and i was oh my god it was shocking very amazing moment and this happened in his little office off to the house he has uh, like a studio off to the house and i remember where it was how it happened and you know it was i mean he's he's not super emotional but i was 
So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's done it a million times, but it, for me, it was a big deal. Well, and here we are, you know, all these years later, and uh, we know who yeah. James Christian is, but we don't know who Zeus is, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, but well, I'm sure he's still a model. I mean, maybe, maybe he is, maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, I think Fabio. If you wanted to think of what the guy looked like, he looked like Fabio at his best. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, it just, it just, it's, it just goes to show you, though, you know, sometimes it's never, you know, at that point, I thought everything was about looks at that time. And it's not, you know, it's some some guys have have their, they just like live the part. They dress up in the morning and look like they're going on stage. And I, I never did that. You know, I would wear sweats and shit like that. And then I had to cut that out because that was one of the things. Well, he goes, you got to look like a rock, a rock guy when you walk out on the street. I said, I can do that. <laughs> but yeah, i'm back to my old tricks yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think we've i think we've managed to uh to cross over back into the into the point where you can actually look like <laughs> like you don't have I know. to go look like a rock god now i know it's amazing really i mean the stuff you go through to to do that I and mean, you just got to look like you you look like that all the time you know that's like it, it's impossible Oh, the amount yeah. of work. I mean, I just get, uh, just, sorry, Martin, but like, I yeah, just think yeah. like the amount of work, whether it be like makeup, hair, clothes, all of that stuff. I mean, wow, what yeah. an effort. And well, I had a, a team that was uh, helping put you back together in the, in the old days. Well, yeah, I, I kind of do did feel like, you know, I there was like a, 10 pieces of me that had to be put together before I went there. My eyes were one of them because Gene said, you're going to have, you had dark hair, so you're going to have blue eyes. And I said, yes, I understand that, but my eyes aren't blue, they're, <laughs> they're brown. And he goes, well, they're brown now, but they'll be blue when you put those contact lenses in. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so I had contact lenses in with all this smoke on stage and there were nights when I was crying I mean, my eyes were just like burning. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't wait to get them off, you know. And then you, there would be, you know, fans out at the tour bus and they'd be like going, oh, they wanted to meet me and they wanted to take photos because they wanted. And they would, you know, say, well, your eyes are beautiful. And I'm like, oh, now I've got to wear these all the time. <laughs> if I get off the boat, off the bus to go to a 7-Eleven, I got to have those blue eyes. in. so that's what... <laughs> Thank nobody, God. Can, nobody can say you didn't suffer for your art. I did. I did suffer. <laughs> <that way. laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, I don't think as fans, we truly realize the extent that. Yes that went into, you know, just the image of every single musician, especially, well, I mean, now with, with the popular music, but I mean, back then in the, in the eighties, I mean, just, everything i mean the hair had to be teased just right and oh wow. oh my god that part i mean everything just had to be a certain way and i sort of got it because and in the 80s and you know guys look like girls and you know that's the way they and girls look great and you know that's what they wanted so we all followed suit and then slowly but surely things started to calm down a bit uh, i mean i've i've worn platform platform shoes for so long that i now this week have to go in for a hip replacement that's how long i wore them oh. <laughs> you know oh wow <laughs> yeah you think about it i'm thinking to myself that's that's how i got this because you know i'm not that old that i would need a hip replacement and then when i told the doctor i wore um platform shoes for so long he goes well there you go you know i said okay get me better <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, all these things that you never think of. I mean, Ryan, you know, the in the early days, so that you can do something big and be big, and now now you wind up paying for it a little bit. Yes, yeah. And, and look, I wouldn't change a thing because it was the time of my life. It still is, you know, because now I produce a lot. Um, I'm, I do Robin's records, you know, and um, my own and other people, you know, will ask me to, to do stuff. Of course, I charge them, but, you know, that's just part of the game. You know, I don't do anything for free anymore, but I used to. If anybody asked me to sing, I'd be the first person there. I mean, like the first, first time I went out to California, I went to this guy's house who was a studio musician. Uh, his name was uh, Jeff Silverman. 
who happened to be a friend of Rick Springfield's. And he goes, would you mind singing a song for Rick? And I said, are you kidding? So I sang one of his songs. And 25 years later, I get paid on it because he's doing it on a best of record. Oh. So, <laughs> well, at least you it, it eventually works. got paid. <laughs> yeah, I did. It, not a lot, but it, I got paid. It's a song called Right Planet, Wrong World. I love wow. the song, too. Awesome. I'll have to look that up. But uh, yeah, look it up. But yeah, isn't it isn't it neat? I mean, but that's the thing, right? And and I mean, we know this just from from every from everything that you that a person can do that's creative. I mean, it's hard to wind up to the getting to the paid point all the time. But when you give stuff something away for free, it almost yeah. always backfires. Yeah, but you know, back then I just you know it, it, for me go, going out there and and uh, you know living in L.A. for as long as I did, it was almost, um, I would say almost eight months. And I was living, living with people living in uh, hotels that weren't really hotels, but you know, the tops of hotels, you know, and I, you, you name it, I've done it. So that part of it, I, I feel like I paid my dues. Back in Connecticut, where I grew up, I was like the big fish, you know, I was in one of the most popular bands. Uh, it was either our, my band or Michael Bolton's band. We both had it going on here in, uh, in uh, New, New Haven area. And you look what happened to him. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> and he, you know, it's so funny because Mark Mengel talks about it all the time because he was with him during that time. And he was telling us how it wasn't until he broke off to the blue-eyed soul, you know, in the rock business, he, he couldn't, you know, couldn't get, couldn't break it. Yep. And I thought to my and I thought to myself, well, shit, man, that was a damn good record. Anyway. Oh, oh yeah. Like the blackjack <laughs> so stuff the, that he did so, with Bruce yeah. It was all good stuff. I said, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, he goes, well, he, he couldn't break loose until he started doing the Dock of the Bay or whatever. I said, I don't care. The other shit was still good, you know. And that's why <laughs> I loved um, working with Mark, because he really understood that part of it. He works with good singers. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, now, you know, speaking of good singers, of course, I mean, Robin Beck, your wife, I mean, a wonderful singer, but yeah. like, so then what, what's it like being married to another singer and just is, is music just ever present for you guys? Always. It really is. As a matter of fact, we're right now going through songs for her new record and, um, you know, she's working on that. She just did. She's working with um, a lot of different writers. Um, Cliff Magnus, one of them right now, and she's doing one of his songs. And she's um, what Robin's a really, you know, how do how do you put it? Her vocal tone is probably the best around. It really is, and that's probably why she was one of the most popular jingle singers in New mm -hmm. York City. She, she made her whole she made a whole career of it. The whole thing with first time was an accident. It was a Coke commercial for health, you know, and uh, they didn't know, you know, the people over there were going, this is such a great song. And somebody had the idea of making the Coke commercial a single. And that's how that all happened. So that's the kind of tone she had. And when I record her, uh, I just remember it. And I said, that's the money right there. Your, your tone. So. Yeah, that's that is amazing. I mean, but, yeah. but is it's it's just so the music industry, right? Where it doesn't matter how it happens because you'll find it in anywhere. Like just yes. it, who knows how it's going to hit for you. It's it's really is, and you know, um, you just never know what it is they're gonna they're, they're going after. For me, um, I I spent a lot of years doing it. Robin was around it all the time um she was at back then she was dating a bass player called will smith who was the bass player for um the D david letterman show so she was hanging around that crew for like five six seven years and it was really around the best players in the business and i mean the best players in the business the brecker brothers and all these you know incredible musicians so she got a lot of great training early on in her career and it pays off, you know, you have all those kind of people around you and you go up to sing a song and people know who you are and what you're capable of doing. So it was easier for her, easier for her than it was for me. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I wanted to touch base on uh, Jimmy Bell because, I mean, he's such an amazing player. And yeah. 
And so then when, when it comes time for him to do his stuff, like how much, how much input does he have? Does he kind of, because like you say, I mean, he's with autograph and other stuff. Yeah. So does he just kind of record his parts and then put her off on his own again? Well, yeah, I mean, um, Jimmy, Jimmy writes, he wrote three tracks on the record on, on the uh, Saints and Sinners record. And um, he's great at, at tracks, you know, he can, he, some of the stuff he comes up with, I absolutely love. And I use those tracks, you know, I mean, he writes a lot of stuff. It, it, it can go from anything from uh, Ingbe Malmsteen type of tracks, which, you know, in my opinion, I'll pass on that. <laughs> but that's the way, you know, that's what he loves. He's a, he's a shredder. But there's, other, there's another side of Jimmy besides being a shredder is he has an incredible feel. But you got to kind of, you know, tell him that's what you're looking for. And you got to get that out of him because the first thing you're going to get is uh, a million notes and like Amadeus, can you play a few less? You know, <laughs> no. But that's the way it is. I love. I just love the way he plays completely. He's unique. You know, left-handed oh. is being a left-handed gunslinger. Are you kidding? That's the best. Oh yeah. I mean, it, there, there's no doubt. Because like, I mean, I've I've been listening to him for a long time too, and every time he pops up, I know what I'm going to get. I know that the solo is going to going to sound really amazing. And yes, yeah. I know that he can play a million notes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. He does. And, and the funny thing is, this guy practices every day. I mean, I, and and I, I used to say to him, how how many times do you you, do you have to pick up the guitar? We'll be sitting or you know sitting doing an interview, and he's still playing his guitar. He's doing scales. So, but you know, listen, this is what made, makes him what he is today. You know, he really he's he's a great guitar player. And on top of that. He's probably the nicest guy I've ever met, you know, as far as um, but we grew up in the same state as well. We he had his band Bell Attack and then um, some other band. I can't remember the band it was in, but he was you know, one of the bands that were doing the Connecticut scene. So we knew each other for a long time. Mm hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting that he winds up in the band uh, later on. But I mean, again, it's the music industry. It's small and yet very large. Yes, it is. It is very small. Believe me. Yeah. So are you, you're a musician as well. What, what do you play? Well, I've uh, I've uh, I play guitar, not uh, not not enough to be not enough to be good, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately. <All right. laughs> but I know the I know the instrument, and I and of course we've been following music and then doing music interviews for, you know, over 10 years. So we learn, well, that's, we learn stuff. That's great to do. I, Cause I'd so much rather do interviews with people that actually play music and, and are, are, you know, very knowledgeable about it because, you know, sometimes you, you, um, you do these interviews or you speak, uh, you get these reviews from people and you think, were you listening to the same song? You know, I, I'm, I would never, I would never say that. I'm saying it to you guys, but I mean, I would never call somebody up and say that because then, I mean, it is a free country. You can say what you want and, and uh, remark how you do. But in my mind, that's what I'm saying as I'm cussing them out. <laughs> well and there's no doubt like i mean i know like when we listen to albums it's like we're listening for well like like in jimmy's case like i love his guitar tone and that's something uh -huh. that that i always listen to when when you know for certain guitarists i mean jimmy being one of them i mean i just know that you're gonna get this super clean tone you're gonna hear all those notes and 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 yeah it's it's a beautiful sound yeah you could it, i mean you could literally plug jimmy direct and then he played the same solo and you go, you didn't miss a note, did you? You know, it's just like, because you can really, uh, when you have it on uh, heavy distortion, I can even make it sound decent. But I mean, this guy is real, you know, he's precise as you can be. Yeah, I mean, Key Marcello, who plays with Europe, um, he remind, reminds me similar in that regard, just, yeah. just for that amazing tone and just being able to, like, I'm hearing all the notes. <laughs> Did uh, Marcelo and Rob? Mar no, that's Bob, Rob Marcelo from Danger. Oh yeah, I worked, yeah, I worked with him a couple of times. He's also very good. Uh, I mean, I just I love it. I love it so yeah. much. But uh, you know, and so then um, we're almost out of time with you here. But uh, okay. I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, with the hip 
and all that. Do you think you'll be getting, able to go out on tour at some point for this album? Well, you know, we're um, that's why I'm doing it so early. I had it scheduled for November, December, and then uh, uh, Frontiers had called me and and, and requested um, us for the uh, they're doing a festival uh, in uh, in next year. And also, I have a show um, at Hard Rock Hell in Wales, England. So all of these things are dependent upon me being able to, you know, get this done and get better. Got to go through rehabilitation. And, um, you know, I, you know, I think it's going to be fine. If I don't, I mean, I can always use a cane, make it part of, you know. <laughs> well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it would look bad. I mean, I've seen a lot of singers with a cane. Alice Cooper has a cane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have... <laughs> look at look at Phil I... Collins on the last Genesis tour. I mean, oh, he was my God. he was sitting down. I couldn't believe it. I, and I felt terrible. I mean, you know, there's a guy who doesn't need to do that. He just didn't need to, but that's a love of his what he does, you know. Yeah. He'd go out there and do that because he loves it. So I will I will figure a way to do it. Um, and we love what you do as well uh, from our, our perspective. The Saints and Sinners out and available everywhere right now. Um, we want to give you a chance to, to plug anything that you do have upcoming. Uh, I, I mean, I'm already looking forward to the next album. I think you've done nine or ten in the last 15 years. So <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining yeah. it's not going to be too long. But, I know uh, it. <laughs> but the thing is, I want to let this one steep in for a while because the reviews are so good that I'm thinking, let me just, uh, you know, appreciate this for a while because it's, it's the words, it's the most the stressful part is when you're done and then people start writing out what they did and what they think. And, you know, and sometimes it's not very favorable, even though it's you think it's a good record, but um, they could, you know, they could have a different opinion and sometimes they do. But on this one, they all seem to be um, in uh, unison agreement that it's one of the best ones we've done in, in a long time. So I like that. I mean, I'd say one of the best ones you've done. I mean, just uh, just an amazing album. And if anybody says different, then, well, they're wrong. Yeah. Come see I'm, me. Come see me. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, James, feel free tell tell everybody where they can keep up with you. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Well, we have uh, yeah. Again, we we love uh, we love you. We love talking to you, and uh, and your voice is amazing. And we look forward to many more years of that. So thank you so much for being on the show, and good luck with the hip. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll see you soon. All right. Thank sounds you. good. Bye now. Take care. Bye bye.